All right. Well, good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? Everybody doing all right? Yeah, feeling good? Hey, I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. I want to say welcome to those that are watching online. I want to give a special shout out to our guests that are joining us for the first time. Thanks for coming and being a part of this gathering. Uh, but there's some special folks that we need to acknowledge today. And so if you'll uh, help me honor them well, tomorrow's Veterans Day. And so if you've served in any of our military, uh, both past or present, uh, God, I ask that you would stand and let us honor you this morning. Would you stand to your feet? Let us honor you this morning. <clears throat> Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you, and we know that our freedom is not free, so thank you for all that you do and all that you have done. Well, whether you've been coming for a couple years or whether it's your first day-to-day, -day, I want to let you know that next week we're going to be uh, going to, we're actually going to be doing something we've never done before. It's going to be a continuation series. So the last three weeks we've been in this series called The Gospel, but next week we're going to start a continuation series, and it's going to be called The Whole in Our Gospel. And I need to let you know that next week, specifically next Sunday, we're going to be experiencing something together, and you're going to have to be here to be a part of it. We're going to be handing something out to you. It's going to be a challenge that I'm going to give us as a church, but it's one of those things where if you're not here, it won't work. And so I want to encourage you to come and be a part of our gathering next Sunday as we kick off this new series called The Whole in Our Gospel. Sound good? All right. Well, today, let me start us, let me start us off this way this morning. Uh, my bet is that you have lived enough life up till now that at some point you've probably inaccurately made an assessment of someone or a situation uh, and it was just the wrong assessment, right? Maybe we brought our preconceived notions to the table and we thought, hey, I kind of, I think I know what this situation is or I think I kind of know who that person is. But after some time and getting to know that situation better or getting to know that person better, we came to the conclusion that what we thought it was is not what it was at all. Well, I've been talking to people about Jesus as long as I can remember. And it's not uncommon when I'm talking to them for them to realize that who they thought Jesus was is actually not who he is at all. Maybe it was because they were taught something that was inaccurate. Maybe they came to their own conclusion. Maybe it's because they watched how Christians treated other people or maybe how a Christian treated them personally. But when people take the time to actually get to know who Jesus is and what his gospel actually represents, it's almost as if they're experiencing life for the very first time. Church, one of our hopes behind this entire series was to give you a fresh look at the gospel, allowing you to uproot any preconceived notions that you might have had. And so we kicked off this series by looking at the story of creation. And we began by sharing this statement with you, and we shared the bad news because we'll never share the good news until we fully understand the bad news. Share being the key word there. Because I think we all get, we've been talking about this for the last several weeks, yes, we need to study the gospel. And yes, we need to show the gospel, right? That's why we should be in God's word every single day. We get to know the heart of God so that we can show the heart of God. But if we don't share it, listen to me, if we don't share the gospel, the good news, if we don't share it, we are holding within us a secret, the saving grace of Jesus. We're keeping it a secret. And one thing that I know the gospel was never meant to be was a secret. And so we introduced to you a drawing, an illustration, and you got this paper when you walked in today. And hopefully you've been taking notes as we've been unfolding this illustration for you, but we're calling it the gap and the gospel. 
And so we introduce this to you in hopes to help you to have an easier way to share the good news with other people. And having an illustration in front of you that not only allows the gospel to become more simple, but it also allows it to become more accessible because we really do believe this illustration can be drawn on almost anything. You could draw it on a napkin if God were to give you an opportunity to set up a divine appointment. You could draw it in the sand. You could draw it in the snow. And so our hope is that this illustration would allow the gospel to become more tangible for you so you could explain it if God gives you one of those opportunities. And so what I want to do right now is I want to draw it. I want to draw this for you. And again, we want you to get familiar with this. And so you got a pen in the seat back pocket in front of you. If you take that out and get that little piece of paper out, and as we fill this out together, that you would make notes and you would maybe write down things that are potentially epiphanies for you, things you didn't understand before. But one of the things that I'm going to do today that I haven't done or we haven't done in the last couple of weeks is I'm going to build a biblical framework for us that's going to allow us to see our need for Jesus and it's going, to help, it's going to help us appreciate what he's done for us all the more. And I would encourage you to write these biblical references down so that you can go back and study them for yourself later. And especially for those of you that are in group life here at Trace, <clears throat> that you would, as a group, uh, over the course of this week, go back and look at these verses to get, to, together and become more familiar with them so that you are ready when God gives you the opportunity to share the good news with someone else. And so we began with the creation story. And we said, in the beginning... There was God, and God was perfect, right? All the things that represented who God was, he's perfect, right? He's perfect, he's truth, he's grace, he's just, and he's love. That's this, these are just you know, five things that truly represent the heart of God. And God, in the beginning, he created us. And when he created us, we were with God. He created us in his image, and we were to be with God. He literally walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He wanted an intimate relationship with us. That's how he wanted it from the very beginning. But because we chose to go against the will of God, and Adam and Eve brought sin into the world by eating of the tree of good and evil, eating of the tree of knowledge. And again, God could have asked them not to do anything, but this is just, just happened to be the one thing that he asked them not to do. But they went against the will of God, just like, the, just like all of us have a tendency to do. And when they did that, they created a separation between them and God. But God being a just God... Well, let, let me finish that. So they created a separation, and because there was a separation now, and because people went against the will of God and they brought sin into the world, we were no longer perfect, but we were imperfect. We were no longer represented truth, but we were dishonest. And we felt entitled. And we became corrupt and fearful. But this is not how God wanted it. This is not how God, God did not want it to be this way. When he created us, he created us in his image with these things in mind. And so God said, okay, listen, I'm going to fix this because this is not how I wanted this to go down. This is not what I had in mind. And so what I'm going to do in order for you to get back to me, to have a bridge, to be able to bridge this gap, I'm going to give you a scale, a measurement. And this scale is what we know as the Ten Commandments. And God said, if you want to have a relationship with me, you need to live out these Ten Commandments perfectly. And last week we talked about this idea of a morality ladder, right? Because we all know people that are good. Like if this is, represents perfection, and down here maybe this is the enemy, right? This is Satan down here. That we know good people. And so we mentioned people like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. And we mentioned people like my wife 
And we, I won't even talk about Patriot fans. We're not even going to go there today. And then we thought about, well, even that one person, like that person that we all know, and maybe they don't even believe in God, but they are such a good person. Like they have devoted their life to the service and helping others. And so maybe there's that really, really good person that's up here. I mean, they're just shy of being perfect. And we talked about how, man, is it like, doesn't this, doesn't this account for something? Being good, like being good enough, isn't like being good, isn't that a part of getting us back to God? And ultimately we came to the conclusion that it doesn't. The goodness, although it's good, goodness will never get us back to God. The only thing that will get us back to God is living out this measurement, the Ten Commandments, perfectly. That's the scale. That's the measurement that God gave us. But we also know that none of us can do that because in Romans 3, we read that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God being all-knowing, right? He wasn't surprised by this. God wasn't surprised that this was going to happen. And so what he did is he allowed for this kind of temporary forgiveness system, and he instituted this thing called the Day of Atonement for the Israelites. And if you weren't here last week, go back and watch that message, because I'm not going to go in depth on that, but we talked about that in depth last week. And God gave this kind of temporary sacrificial system. And what would happen is they would bring a lamb to the Day of Atonement once a year. They'd sacrifice a lamb. And the high priest would take some of that blood and sprinkle it around the back of the tabernacle in this place called the Holy of Holies where this measurement actually existed because the Ten Commandments, the tablets, were in this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And it was back in the Holy of Holies, only where the high priest could go. And he would go back and sprinkle some of this blood. And we learned last week that it had to be blood because blood is the essence of life. And in Hebrews, we read that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So they would take some of this blood from this lamb and sprinkle it around, letting God know, excuse me, <clears throat> letting God know, we know that we're not living up to your measurement. We, we know we're not living up to your measurement. So we're making this sacrifice on behalf of the fact that we know we're not living up to this measurement. But this was never the answer. This was never God's ultimate plan, friends. It was simply the setup. We read in Hebrews 10, this was the old system. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again year after year. We talked about that. Year after year, they would have to come back and do this day of atonement. But they were never, everybody say never. This system was never meant to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. And so we concluded our time last week with looking at this, and we determined that if there were ever to be the possibility of perfect cleansing, if there were ever to be the possibility of something happening to get us back to God, what it's actually going to take is it's going to take someone who is able to live a perfect life. Someone actually has to live a perfect life and after they lived that perfect life, if they were willing to give up their life, sacrifice their life for the sake of everyone else, well then, in that case, our sins could be forgiven forever. In that case, this gap actually could be filled. In that case, we actually could get back to God. And this is exactly what Jesus did for each and every one of us. And can I get an amen for the fact that he did that for us? Jesus filled this gap for us. He offered his life as a living sacrifice. When he gave up his life on the cross, he paid your penalty. And he paid my penalty. He filled a gap that we could never fill on our own. And through his life 
And through his sacrifice, a perfect blood sacrifice, our sins were atoned for and able to be forgiven forever. I want to share with you several scriptures this morning from God's word that kind of build a narrative of what Christ actually accomplished for us. And as I go through these passages, I would encourage you just to write down these references and go back and study them and get very familiar with them so that you become more familiar with the good news of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, For you know that God paid a ransom. He paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood. There's that word. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb. Now you can bridge those two. Go back to the day of atonement where they sacrificed a lamb. Christ was the spotless lamb, the only one who didn't have a blemish, the only one who could live perfect. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Romans chapter 8, we read, So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared, I love this phrase, declared an end. He declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law, right, this idea you had to fulfill it completely, the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. And then Romans 3, and all now are justified, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. There it is again, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have, been, who have faith in Jesus. Justified. We have been justified through Jesus. It's just if I'd never sinned. But church, to be clear, listen to me, to be crystal clear, there is no other way. There is no other way back to God. There is no other way back to the Father, unless you repent of your sin, acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of the living God, that he lived a perfect life, and that he offered his life as a sacrifice by dying on a cross. And three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating death itself so that you and I could have eternal life. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, if you ever want a passage to go to, uh, probably the best passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul unveils the gospel in specific terms. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, keep those, that phrase in mind, by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. 
For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Peter, Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500. Now, this is an incredible apologetic. Apologetic just means a defense of the Christian faith, that all of this is actually true, because you can go back and read historical documents that are outside of Christian literature that talk about this mass conversion of Jews to Christianity overnight, and there was no reason for Jews to become Christians during this time frame because they were probably signing their death sentence. And so the only way that this amount of Jewish people would have converted and become followers of Jesus is if they actually saw the risen Lord himself. Great apologetic here. So he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, another great apologetic, because James, the brother of Jesus, we read this in John's gospel, James didn't even believe in Jesus. His own brother, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was the Messiah, right? (laughs) Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, this is Paul writing, also as to one abnormally born. And it is by this gospel, only by this gospel, that we can be made right with God again. Friends, there is no other way. There's nothing, nothing that we can do on our own. Because it is by grace, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that none of us can boast and say, look what I did. That's why God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me hit on that really quick. Do you know that when your father in heaven looks down on you, if you've invited Christ to be the leader and Lord of your life, when, G- when God, the father, looks down on you, he actually sees Jesus inside of you, which means he sees perfection inside of you, which allows our sinful, broken lives to be considered righteous. That's why salvation is found in no one else. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. My guess is that you have people in your life right now, let's get real, that struggle with this. And it could even be you. Wait, wait, Aaron, you're telling me that the only way to get to heaven, the only way to bridge this gap, the only way to have a relationship with God is to believe in Jesus? Yes. All right, hold on a second. So, so you're telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus, then you're saying, I bet I know what you're saying, you're saying I'm going to hell? Yes. You see, church, if we deviate from the bad news, listen to me, this is huge. If we deviate from the bad news, the good news doesn't sound so good anymore or even necessary, which ultimately makes it incomplete or an inaccurate message of the gospel. This is why Paul, when writing to Timothy, said this, you're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. This is the message paraphrase, just in case you wonder if Paul really talked this way. (laughs) They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages, but you keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message, keep the gospel alive. Do a thorough job as God's servant. Can I encourage you to write this next statement down? Just because it's hard to hear doesn't make it any less true. Can I say it again? Just because it's hard to hear doesn't make it any less true. 
But friends, if we're honest, I think most of us would admit that we don't like to share the bad news, which has the tendency to subject us to deviate from the truth in order not to offend people. And then it subjects us to something that I call bit. But I think, but, but, but I think, and what happens is sometimes we will hear the truth of God, and because we don't like the way that it sits with us, we'll follow it up with, but I think. In other words, Jesus is the only way. Yeah, but I think if you're a good person, then that's probably good enough. The scriptures teach us that we need to repent of our sin, to turn away from our sin, and, <clears throat> and go in the direction of Jesus. Yeah, but I think as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, does my sin even make that big of a difference? I mean, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, I think I can do whatever I want. As followers of Jesus, we believe the word of God is God's truth. Yeah, but I think people are pretty smart. I think they can probably come to their own conclusions. You see, in our post-Christian culture, all of us at some point will be around someone who will attempt to explain away the gospel. And sometimes as believers, we may find ourselves sitting in silence. And listen to me, because the danger of our silence is that we may unintentionally affirm things that we do not agree with. That's why Peter said, hey, always be ready. Always be ready to share the hope that you have in Jesus. Now, let me take a time out really quick. Because as I was putting this together, I felt like I need to kind of get off on a detour really quick and talk about something that I think is worth mentioning. And you may disagree with me on this, and that's okay. I personally don't think it's wise to lead a gospel conversation with hell being the focus. Unfortunately, there have been way too many Christians and way too many churches that have used hell as a scare tactic to get people to turn towards Jesus. But listen to me, we don't ever see Jesus do this. We don't ever see Jesus use hell as a scare tactic to get people to follow him. Now let me also be clear that I don't think it would be wise to dismiss hell from the conversation altogether, because if you struggle with the reality of hell, you will struggle with the reality of Jesus and his gospel. But scaring the hell into people was never God's motive when it came to sharing his good news. Can I say it again? It was never his motive. I think Paul highlights this better than anyone when he's writing to the church in Rome in chapter 2. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness, everybody say kindness. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? See, the reality is, church, that you and I deserve hell on our best day. On our best day. But God, everybody say, but God. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And you know what that means? It means the gospel is for people like you and me. People with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, those who have been bruised and accused and abused. The gospel is for the pastor as much as it is the pimp and those who suffer and those who limp. It's for the rich and the poor and the person who says, I can't take anymore. The gospel is for the arrogant and the humble and those who can't speak, but they just mumble. The athlete, the monk, and those who feel their marriage is all but sunk. The gospel is for all the prayers that go unspoken and the teenager pretending because underneath they are broken. It's for, it's for those who wear rags and those who are well-dressed 
And regardless of what judgmental Christians say, the gospel's for Kanye West. (laughs) It's for the lesbian and the gay man, and believe it or not, even a Patriots fan. (laughs) The gospel's for everyone stuck in sin, for those that don't fit in, because if they'll just repent, listen to me, Jesus will win. Because there's a gap in our lives, both yours and mine. But the gospel of Jesus will fill it every time. All you have to do is get in. I've wanted to be in. To be in the in crowd, in the loop, in the know, among the proud. Not left out, but to be allowed. To be in. I have wanted to be in. Wear clothes that are in style, a trendsetter and versatile. Just the right cut and a perfect smile. I have wanted to be in. To be looked at someone who has much, own the latest and greatest stuff and such, I have wanted to be in. But I have felt aggravated, frustrated, unappreciated, slated, as someone who is underrated. Unimportant, unknown, unseen, average, mediocre, routine, beneath, below, beyond a chance, inconsequential, insignificant. But Jesus, he met people like me. Took notice of a blind man and made him see. Saw a locked up kid, set him free. Told little Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. Felt it when a desperate woman touched his cloak, knelt beside a dead girl, and up she woke, hung out with the down, the out, the broke, gave hope to the forgotten with just the words he spoke. Touched a man with leprosy whom others would mock. Touched the mouths of the mute, and at once they could talk. Forgave a woman at the well who was a laughingstock. Came to the lowly shepherds who smelled like their flock. And the company of sinners is where he'd eat. Defended an adulterer and made her accusers retreat. Made followers of men who were crooked cheats. And let the tears of a prostitute anoint his feet. And suddenly, dramatically, miraculously, undeniably, they were in. And since the day I met with him, he took all that I had been, all my fear, my shame, my sin, and changed my life by letting me in. Our God is greater than the past that drowned me, stronger than the chains that bound me, higher than the shame that found me. There is no one like him. None like him. And the gospel of Jesus says if we will simply repent of our sin, We don't have to give it all figured out. We don't have to clean our lives up first. I was talking with one of my kids about this last night. I've been talking to about baptism and he said, Dad, but I I still feel like I make too many mistakes. I said, join the club. But if you'd be willing to accept what Christ has done for you, only what he could have done for you and fill the gap that separated us from God, Repent, which just means to turn and go in his direction. It doesn't mean you're going to do it flawlessly. But if you're willing to accept that, you can be in today. You can be in the kingdom of God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of response. And 
Over the course of this series, we've had several people already say yes to Jesus, and so we're going to witness some baptisms. And so here's how this is going to go. For some of us that have already made that decision, uh, we're going to celebrate in something called communion. And so we're going to go to one of these stations around the room where there's a cross and there's elements there. There's a cracker that represents the broken body of Jesus. And we dip it in a cup of juice that represents his blood spilled out. And maybe for the first time in a long time, that's going to take on more meaning for you. I hope it does. And then some of us need to sit in our chair and we need to really think, have I accepted the good news of Jesus Christ in my life? And if you've never done that and you want to do that today, make someday today. Don't put this off. That we would invite you to come forward and we'd love to have a conversation with you about saying yes to Jesus. And we have clothes for you so you can get baptized today if you want to. There's also others in this room and maybe... You've been following Jesus for a while, and it's not that you haven't believed, and it's not that you haven't repented of your sin, but for whatever reason, you've just never been baptized. Maybe you were baptized as an infant, and when we talk about that, we, we always acknowledge your parents. That was awesome if your parents had you baptized. We just don't ever see it be done that way in the New Testament. And so as much as possible, we want to represent what the gospel actually teaches, and we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jesus himself was immersed by John the Baptist. And let me talk to you about this idea of immersion, because this is beautiful, church. When you go underneath water, that's why the word bapt, uh, baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse, to go underneath water, because it represents a burial. When you go underneath that water, it's a sign, it's a, an outward indication of an inward decision saying, I'm dying to my way of life so that I can be raised to walk a new life with Christ. If you've never done that, and you want to get baptized today, like I said, we've got clothes for you. All I need you to do is after I pray and say amen, come down front, grab one of these towels, and we'll lead you back. We'll get some clothes on you, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate with people saying yes to Jesus today. And your yes could be a lot of different things. But my hope is that you would find a new way to represent, and I'm sorry, let me say it differently. You would find a new way to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ today. And so if you've never been baptized, I'm asking you to be bold today to come forward. If you've never accepted Jesus, I'm asking you to be bold and come forward and make that decision, that declaration today. So what's going to happen is as these guys are getting changed and everybody's getting ready to uh, get dunked over here, we're going to be singing some worship songs. And so in the midst of worshiping the Lord our God, we're going to also celebrate people's decision at the same time. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to pray for us right now, and then I'm going to encourage you to respond however you feel God is leading you to right now. And if he's leading your feet to come forward, do not stop them. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that every single person in this room today would see their need to respond to your gospel. For some of us, we need to allow it to reinvigorate us once again, to create within us a boldness to let other people know that we're not ashamed of Jesus, that we're not ashamed to call him the leader and Lord of our life. And maybe this little tool, this little illustration we've been going through, maybe that will give us something in our hands to start explaining to people what Jesus means to us. For some people that maybe have never made that step, God, would you give them courage to make today someday? God, that they would come forward and they would acknowledge Jesus as the leader and Lord of their life for the first time. And then the then still for others, God, that have never just made that step in obedience to be baptized. God, that they would come forward and they would, fo they would follow in Jesus' footsteps. Exactly what he modeled for us, this idea of Beth, death, burial, and resurrection through water baptism. And so, Father, I 
hand this moment over to you. God, I pray that we feel your presence in a powerful way. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Feel free to respond.